Hey, founders, welcome back to another episode of the Gab Lab. So great to have you here. This is a show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, but it's there to help you build your bottom line as well. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods Richardson, and today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Community Future Sunrise. Okay, so today in the lab, we have nailed the number pro Yvonne Tevano. She's an independent consultant and change management expert. She's going to be talking to us about change management, what it is, and as founders, why we should care and its impact to our bottom line. But then she's also going to walk us through two areas that she believes um, have really significantly been impacted um, as a result of COVID, and that is the customer experience, as well as operational efficiencies and effectiveness. So with that being said, this is one episode you don't want to miss. Go grab a coffee, and we'll see you in the lab. Well, Yvonne, thank you so much for uh, taking the time for joining us in the Gab Lab today. I am really excited to actually dive in to the topic of change management. We've had a little bit of a conversation on change management uh, in the past, and I, you know, it it boggles my mind actually. This whole idea of change management, how many small business owners are actually going through change on a day to day basis but haven't really branded it or labeled it change management. I think they're used to labeling it fires. Yeah. <laughs> I do it that fire and that fire. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're making the time to join us today in, uh, in the Gab Lab to talk a little bit about change management and COVID specifically, um, how that has impacted our, our day to day. So maybe because it isn't a term many founders are overly familiar with, maybe if you could walk us through what change management is from the perspective of a, of a small business owner. Absolutely. Uh, change management is a space that I have been personally involved in since about 2007. And I think like many founders, I was practicing it in business for many years and didn't really have a label for it. And it's as simple as you're doing something today, you wanna to do something different tomorrow, you want your employees to do something different tomorrow, you want your clients to do something different tomorrow, and how do you get them from A to B in the most efficient and effective way possible? So for a founder, for a business owner, every day that you spent mucking about in a new platform, training people on a new way of doing uh, an operational task, you're losing money or you're not making as much money as you potentially could. So change management really comes down to shortening that cycle, shortening that window and being able to gain the benefit of that change you've introduced absolutely as quickly as possible. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing a lot in that, and I'm wondering if I can dissect that a little bit just so I can wrap my head around it. And, and I suspect many founders are asking this as well. So when we first start our business, we obviously write out a business plan. And that yeah. whole business plan is really the, this, this deliberate intention of how we plan to go from here to here. And in that plan, we write out a SWOT analysis, right? Our, our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I'm, I'm wondering, change management, is it really, and, and maybe you can speak to this in your experience, but for business owners, um, how much are they actually reacting to change versus how much are they actually taking a proactive approach 
to what needs to happen and how that's going to get them to that end, that end goal? That's such a great question because there's a number of factors that play into that. First is the nature of the business itself. So some businesses are inherently subject to more change at a moment's notice than others. So definitely those founders, especially if they're new to the business, may find themselves back on the heels because regulatory changes or uh, new guidance from the government, those kinds of things impact them day in, day out. Another thing is the actual founder's personality, okay? A number of founders love the juice that comes from trying something new and diving in and, you know, making it work and troubleshooting it. So, in fact, this concept of a planful approach to something, um, while conceptually and intellectually they want to be there, when it actually comes time to running their business, they love that feeling of solving problems. And so in fact, might avoid change management because that sort of takes some of the fun out of it. There's also an aspect of where the business is in its life cycle. So absolutely when a business is in its early days, everything is changing all the time. And so the ability to be planful about it or the time to be planful about it just simply might not be there. When an organization then transitions a bit into a space where it can be a little bit more mature, then people do tend to think about, okay, how can I make this change, introduce this change, adopt a new accounting software, perhaps fine tune a process in the plant and do it in a way that is less reactionary. So that's also a great time when change management can play a role. Absolutely today, one of the key times is when they go through renewal and renewal can be sparked internally, you know, take on a new business line, perhaps create a new uh, product group or externally impacted change like COVID. And so those are times when taking a moment's pause, thinking about your organization, where you are today, where you want it to be and play in the future and being planful about it can really enhance your time to market and your ability to stabilize and gain the revenues and benefits out of that change. Wow. And so, it, yes, I think you're right. I think with, with many founders, I like to, to call us, myself being one of them, the butterfly chasers, right? <laughs> it's always like, what's new? What's exciting? We go, go, go. <clears throat> we tend to react to things. Um, and so now I'm hearing in what you're saying that from a change man management perspective, looking at internally what might be happening or what might be on the horizon and then externally, what we can potentially foresee happening or situations like COVID. And then it's this matter of, okay, it's time to kind of regroup, figure out what we can do now, what we can actually plan to do in the future. Um, out of curiosity, and I, I think you've already alluded to this a little bit, but the impact of not planning for change to the best of our ability, we're never going to get it, you know, hundred percent, right. but to not plan for that, because that's kind of what we're, how we're predispositioned as founders is to always just go and be thinking, 
you know, about all these shiny little things that are, are you know, distracting us from the, the strategy of, of building the business. But in your experience, what has the cost of that been to the bottom line? When we're not planning for change, how does that impact our profitability? If I think about profitability being the triangle supported by customer, employee, and financial-based tactics. So if you're going to annoy a bunch of customers because you put a change in place, but you didn't think about the 1-800 number you would need to answer their questions, that's a change and a risk to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. If you put a change in place and you haven't adequately informed or trained your employees, and they get disgruntled or leave the organization or become inert as a result, that is an impact to your bottom line. And then direct financial components, which is either you know, losing margin or creating undue cost for yourself because you're kind of doing some rework or perhaps uh, you know, sometimes if you're addressing customer issues, then you're compensating for you know, lag times and you're adjusting pricing. So, so a bottom line impact in context of customer, employee and financial all lead to that overall bottom line driver of why change management is so important. Change management helps you take a moment's pause and think ahead to what might happen, what could happen and what do I want to do about it? In some cases, a founder may say, I don't have the resources to actually address that. That's fine, but you're doing it as a conscious decision, just like you make trade-off decisions in your business every single day. Okay. No, that, um, that definitely makes sense. And I'm wondering then for the founders that are listening in, how, you know, and this is going to be a loaded question. I know in our next segments, we actually start addressing change management from a customer service perspective, right? And then as well as from a operational efficiency, these are two discussion points, because this is what you've been seeing through COVID, two, two areas that have been um, most impacted. But how, how would I, as a founder, actually go about the process of sitting down to try to figure out my, my change management strategy? Where where do I start with that? So there are, I mean, there's a number of tools. You can Google change management and you'll come up with a million tools that can help you guide in the process. But similar to the way you have experts at your reach, your accountant, your lawyer, people who really know things that, that at a depth of level that you don't and nor do you care to, and drawing those experts in at the right moments in time, you know, there's always a range of, of service that can be associated with it. But a recent experience, I had a, a, a client reach out and I coached them through a change. So all we did was set up a weekly discussion when uh, for a period of time through about 90 days and, and would ask some questions. Okay, did you think about this? How did you approach this? Are you incorporating this? And did they drive tactics based on every single thing we talked about? No, but they knew that after that hour a week, they would spend time thinking about their business in a different way, making different decisions because of the potential bottom line impact. And 
often, I know you use the phrase, blow your mind. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Where will they call? What is the 1-800 number or, or link on my website that I want them to tap into as a result of that change? Okay, so in there I'm hearing surround yourself with experts, surround yourself with people who can help you see the forest through the trees, that you don't need to go it alone, right? I also heard in that then um, almost a, a dual edged approach where part of it is planning, but then also getting the support to then help execute on the change as well. So getting that, that dual edged support in the proactive versus the reactive. And you, you'd agree with that? Absolutely. And change, people don't act as we always think they're going to act. They, the way they respond to a change is not, has some predictability to it, but also has some unpredictability to it. So similar to just the general running of a business, you plan and then you have space to allow yourself to adjust. And change is a particular time when that is really, really critical. You take a look, you maybe use data feedback to be able to interpret the impacts of the change. And then you go, okay, that really seemed to work. Mm, not so sure that did. So let's tweak it a bit. What might be different? Do we need to communicate more? Do we need to train differently? How can we approach this in a way that actually we can keep the core of the change intact, but tweak it around the edges to make it even more effective? Okay. And I'm wondering in the work that you do, I would imagine that change when it happens, it, it not only is, um, it, it's not only how we respond to internal or external environments, but I imagine that when we're actually proactively planning for change management, we're also thinking about the impact on the internal and the external environment. It's like we have to take both approaches or look at strategies to deal with both of those aspects in, in the business. Is that, is that right? Yeah. It is to, whenever, whenever someone goes to market in a different way, there are the things that they expect to happen and then there's the unintended consequences. <laughs> Heavily weighted on one side, I think more so than the other, but yeah. And those unintended consequences or the holy smokes moments, it's like holy smokes, didn't expect that to happen. Um, those are the times when People react in different ways. Founders react in different ways. Okay, forget about it. This is seeming like too much work or uh, inertia, right? Oh my, like now what do I do? Right. Or we'll try this, try this, try this. So reacting like in little chunks. Again, that moment's pause. Okay, so why is this happening? Trying to understand it, planfully attacking it or sometimes letting it lie. There is always noise that comes out of any change. And one of the factors when I work with clients right up front is, so how much noise are you prepared to ex expect or prepared to, uh, prepared to accept? And well, no noise. Okay, never gonna happen. If that's your expectation, we need to stop conversation right now. Okay this much noise, that much noise, this is how we'll measure it, this is how we'll assess it. How big is the noise and how much is the noise? How much is it draining me from my business as usual activities? And so then once that approach is determined and decided, well, 
that's when you can help guide that activity reacting in the moment. It's like, remember, we talked about this, that there would be noise. Is this now at a level where you want to address it? Or do we just kind of hold our breath for another week or so and see what happens then? Oh, so smart. And I think this is where the value of having those discussions in advance come in, right? Because then you don't feel blindsided. And it's usually in those blindsided moments that we tend to be extremely reactionary, right? Instead of kind of holding the line to see if this, if this is one of those situations that we do need to be reacting to. So let me know if I've got this, if I've, if, if I'm encapsulating this information correctly here. So um, the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me when I think about the conversation that we've just had is that the fluidity in business, that there's always going to be change, we're not going to get away from that. So just to, to expect it. So then to that point, to actually pull the plan together as best as we can to look at potentially internal situations, external situations that might be coming down the pipe, right, to foresee to the best of our ability. Um, to those pieces, and then to put together a plan of action that would best respond to those, um, I don't want to say eventualities, but respond to those situations should they come up. The other thing that I, I love about what you're suggesting when it comes to the expertise and having that person there, and I'm sure that, or maybe you could speak to this later on in one of our other segments, but engaging with the change management expert where I see there being so much value in that, especially for founders, is because many of us don't tend to plan things out that when things do happen, we do become quite reactionary to, to your point about the noise. And when we've got that expert to actually weigh in with, this is where we can go through that list to say, is this actually something that you want to take action on right now? Is it one of the top priorities? Yes or no? Because I think we get bogged down as founders thinking everything's a top priority. Yeah. yeah. And this is where sage advice from consultants come in saying, ah, it might not be the first thing that we need to address. Do you, do you see that quite regularly? We're working with small business owners. Yes. And, and I understand it. I mean, I truly understand it in my own practice as well. It's, it's very natural to want something to exhibit that vision of greatness, whether it's a new product or a new approach, that vision that you've got in your mind. And so you kind of lean in and become immersed by that and keep trying to move towards that. The truth is, is that not everything requires action and not everything requires action today. And so being able to help someone take a breath, have a sounding board, often hear themselves say it out loud and assess, okay, how important is that really? Is that impacting the revenue stream that you're expecting? Is there an immediate change that can be made? If not, you know, maybe you just need to live with it right now and helping them see that that's okay too. Beautiful. Beautiful. Last question for Yvonne in this segment. As you're speaking to all of this, what would you recommend um, be a, 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 a best practice, a healthy practice for a founder? Is this something that we should be looking at monthly, 
quarterly? Does it depend on size of business? Or is it just intuitively, if we were just to look at this once a week, to just keep our, our, you know, our, our, uh, our finger on the pulse of what's actually happening in the business? What's your recommendation on frequency of, of looking at our business with this lens? I would say there's uh, three key times, three key elements that would contribute to wanting to take a step back and consider this. The first is as part of the annual planning cycle and being able to think about, okay, where am I investing, divesting next year? Where am I expecting my growth to come? And that's a great time to say, okay, if that's where I'm going to focus, therefore, then what? What needs to change as a result? So that is a great crossroads to be able to do that. Another would be as a change, specific change is being planned. So that might be the actual implementation of that new accounting software. It might be the purchase of that additional piece of equipment and taking that moment's pause to say, okay, what else is it that is going to be impacted that maybe I'm just focused on wow, I'm going to have this new piece of equipment and forgot that my shed isn't quite that tall. So those kinds of things that, that as a change is happening. And then the third would be as a result, you know, and the lots of business owners take a moment's pause at a quarter, you know, the quarter's review mm -hmm. and being able to say, did the quarter turn out the way I thought it would? Uh, you know, did I get as many new clients or as much business from the existing clients that I thought I would? And that is also a great time to take that financial, uh, that financial information that is such a milestone and then be able to say, okay, perhaps now I need to inject change. I need to create a different stimulation for my sales force. I need to consider the time for scaling or expansion as a result of actually generating more change to achieve the desired business outcomes. That's so powerful, Yvonne, because it does, it, 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 um, it parallels, doesn't it, with kind of this financial assessment that we should ideally be taking um, these pauses to be taking in our business to see, are we on plan? Are we not on plan? What do we need to adjust? How do we adjust it? And then to your point too, then, of then understanding the financial costs and consequences of adopting new change, a new piece of equipment? Does that require a new storage shed? Does it require more maintenance? And making sure all of those numbers come back into our financials and again, planning for that net profit. We, we're always talking about planning for sales, but making sure that that intention for that profitability and increased value in the business is still there. Thank you. That is that's such a great and, and powerful point to actually land on here at the end of uh, at the end of our first point. Thank you for that. All right, so this will wrap up our first uh, our first segment, Yvonne. Um, for those of you that are listening or watching in, we have two more segments to cover here with Yvonne. Thank you again for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, we're actually going to move into content that's a little bit more uh, directed or specific to um, the impact that COVID has had on small businesses. So uh, thank you, Yvonne. We're going to come back for part two where we're actually going to look at COVID and the impact on the customer experience and how to better plan for change in the future for that. So thanks again for joining us here for our first, um, our first part of this episode. We'll see you back in the lab for part two.
Hello, founders. Welcome back to the Gab Lab. We're here for part two of this fascinating episode, actually, on change management, aka putting out fires in business, how a lot of founders like to think of it. But Yvonne's here to make sure that we don't see them as fires and that we're taking a proactive approach. So our Nail the Number Pro today is Yvonne Tevno. Tevano, I hope I've said yeah. that right, Yvonne. And Yvonne is an independent consultant and change expert. And uh, we're so lucky to have her in the, in the uh, lab with us today. And now as we move into part two, we're actually going to start to focus our, our discussion a little bit more on what we've been seeing what you've been seeing, Yvonne, not what I've been seeing, but what you've been seeing and experiencing um, from the perspective of COVID and um, how, it, how it has impacted the customer experience for many of these business owners out there. So where should we, where should we start to dive in on this topic? Well, I think it's hard to uh, not broach this topic without talking about digital digital delivery, digital buying, digital payments, all aspects of the digital components, digital conversations and, and meetings and learning, the digital components that have absolutely changed the way businesses have been run in the past year. And I think in particular about uh, aspects of things that we never thought we could do in a certain way or with a certain interaction capability we have because we've had to and customers that never thought they would buy or uh, services or product in a certain way have actually stepped into that again because they felt they had to and then being able to start pivoting that into just doing business that way as well. Isn't that the truth? Hey, necessity breeds that uh, it, it, it's, the, it's the conduit to, to demand. Did I get that right? Necessity, necessity is the demand. mother of invention. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it's, probably not, that's gender bias now though. I guess it's necessity <laughs> is the parent of invention. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, and I think it's, you know, what I've noticed here through COVID too, is that to your point about noise, it actually felt that through COVID, all of the noise actually dissipated. It became really focused on um, value and purpose and what's important and all of this kind of superficial, you know, oh, am I wearing the right shirt for the video or the meeting has to be, you know, edited a certain way. All of that went away and it was just to show up and to serve and, and to provide value at a time when people were going through crisis and need and, and necessity. So um, yeah. And, and to that point, here we are in this digital world now. And I just read an article this morning that talked about how it, we won't see it go back to the way that it was right. Digital is here to stay now. So in your line of work, how have you been preparing founders to kind of plan and adjust for this new customer experience now from, from a digital perspective. I'm sure there's other perspectives that you want to weigh in on. So, so part of it is you asked, how am I helping founders plan for this? Mm -hmm. And the truth is right now, I would say we're not quite at that stage yet, at least, okay. you know, not in downtown Toronto where I'm based, we're still in a little bit yes. of that reaction mode okay. and 
kind of the steady state of COVID space. So, um, but that being said, that there will be this emergence, this, this leaning into the digital components of, and if I think about from a retail perspective, um, buying, pickup, delivery, aspects that, uh, you know, until recently, it felt like the only thing you could have delivered to eat was pizza, right? Like that was it. Yes. And now the ability and the range of food that a person can access in this way is, is like no limits, no limits. Um, aspects of, of monitoring and control. So people who work in plant-based environments that maybe, you know, were not, not, uh, supportive of camera-based monitoring okay because it just feels so so futuristic and yeah. big brother and spying <laughs> and all the rest of that the truth is is that to be able to monitor teams and equipment through a remote mechanism actually gets you out of their face which is sometimes a good thing and also gives you an ability to gain different perspectives that may be useful for training, process improvement, all of those types of things. So, so benefits that are maybe being realized and not yet even being captured because right now they're just foundationally part of how the business is being run and not yet being internalized as a choice. So a choice for survival today, but not necessarily a choice to enhance the co consumer experience tomorrow. Right. Okay. So more of a necessity, necessity yeah. today to deal with, with crisis. And what I heard um, that was important in, in what, there was lots that was important there, but what I, what I extracted from that as well is that the customer experience also pertains to employees well, right, it's, the, it's the human experience, I guess, right? Is that, would you agree with that or no? If I, well, your employees can be your biz, biggest advocates for sure. And often the work that you do is a reflection of that client interface. So, so if you have a client experience that is dependent on someone other than you to deliver it, many founders deliver their own client experience. So you know, let's set that aside for a moment. But if you are in an environment where you are relying on employees to deliver what you envision as your client experience, that employee's confidence in the company, ability to understand, you know, the root cause for why activities are taken, how they themselves are feeling about their job and their work environment is really critical as part of that client experience. And case in point through this time period, people who serve the public have been at different levels of comfort with that. And essential workers, people who are facing the public in a service oriented, you know, whether they're the person that you, you pick up your product from or those types of things, they are in a, a client facing situation and if they're nervous about their work environment or what this means to their health and safety, the health and safety of their family, 
you can expect that that is going to also reflect in how the clients feel about doing business with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so when you are working with a founder, then I just want to go back to that earlier statement too, that you had made about right now at the time of this airing, um, Toronto is, I don't know, is it on its fourth lockdown or is it third <laughs> or is it too gray third. now? It's it's third. Third. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, here's hoping we don't get to a fourth, but, um, how, what would your process look like then when you're in the middle, when a founder's in the middle of crisis, your role is being able, you know, your role of as being able to come in and help them see the forest through the trees. And what, what would your process look like working with a founder in the midst of crisis as it pertains to this customer experience? How do you start to tackle these issues one by one by one in, in terms of helping this founder better cope? I am quite an advocate of data and information and actually gaining that line of sight from a client. And particularly as clients are adopting new buying approaches is helping them understand or articulate, how did that feel? Did you like it? Did you feel kind of like we were there with you or did you feel alone? Um, not so long ago, I went to a website and the website that I was going to purchase from and then pick up said, sorry, you're in line to be able to access my website. And I thought, wow, when did this happen? When did this start that you would wait wow. in line online? So what that really amplified for me was that your client experience is a function of all of those access points. Data would definitely tell that, that founder, that person utilizing that access point that you had X people click and so many people abandon. And being able to watch and manage the trends in those numbers, just two numbers, click, versus abandon is a very, very insightful component, especially if it is a new access point for your business or something where you've, you know, exponentially expanded it because of the scenario. Oh, so I love what it is that you're saying. It actually, it, it, um, it mirrors and it echoes with uh, one of our marketing experts has talked about before where it's about market measuring the marketing initiatives and they talk about touch points. You're, you're, you're talking access points. It's the same thing. Um, but what I think is so profound about what you're saying here is measuring data and how many founders don't actually measure the data. So if, if I can, I'm just going to throw in here one of these, these um, one of the recommendations was about a, to your point, understanding every single touch point from start to finish, when someone's just become aware of you and is even looking to access more information on your company, I have never heard about that waiting line for a website. That blows my <laughs> mind, it sounds. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a label for that, but you know, um, but all the way through that entire customer experience from the awareness to the engagement, to the interest, to actually being sold, then the fulfillment, then the retention, then the like understanding every single one of those points and 
to your point, making sure you can measure each one of those points, right? Is it a click? Is it a phone call? Is it, sorry, you want to jump in there and, and say something? No, I just, I, I, I'm delighted to hear that the message is coming through it. And I, I suspect some of the founders are going to be thinking, I don't have time to look at all that information. <laughs> You're right. But it's so easy when you set it up properly from the beginning, when you know that you have to measure it, then it's like, okay, well, hits on the website to your point, right? And then the second touch point is, you know, maybe it's what is the call to action? Well, we want them to call us, right? So how many calls did you get? Or we want them to download this PDF. How many downloads do you get? But I love that you've brought up measurement because you can't, it, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. That's, it's just, they go hand in hand. And the beauty of, I mean, what can be measured nowadays is the whole leading and lagging indicators component. So leading indicators, meaning what is implying that this change is taking hold, lagging indicators, an indication of the change actually being captured in the bottom line. So either through revenue growth or cost savings. So a leading indicator might be something like, did my employees take the training or read the little brochure that came along with the new system? A lagging indicator might be, did they actually execute the sale or execute the activity through the system? Or did they just sneak over and do it the old way because it was like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. So your leading indicator really being I believe that if they do the training, then they will have the skills and capability to be able to execute on the change on the new, new equipment, whatever it is, lagging indicator then being, did that actually happen? Beautiful. So that's the term. So leading and lagging, it feels like, yeah, their entrance point and your exit. Point, yes. Right. And then being able to measure those. Is there any correlation in change management? I've heard the term of um, pushing forces and resisting forces. Yes. Is there any correlation? They might be two totally different things, actually, now that I think about it. Well, I, I love that you've uh, highlighted that model because it can it can be an indicator in that when the world is moving us towards something and People, people resist change. It's just human. It's human. We survive because we have a way of doing things. We, you know, we've learned that that works for us. So it is very human to resist change. So one of the um, concept of the force, force field theory is that when somebody's pushing and pushing to try to create a change, people will push back just as hard. So what you actually have to do is find a way to help them step out of that so that the change can go forward. So what do I mean by that? Mm. So you say, please, please say um, uh, when a client comes in, we really want you to say, is there anything else you need today? Because we want to be sure that if you're doing pickup, that you're only coming in once because we know it's awkward and cumbersome and you have to park and all the rest of that. So that's what you want your employee to say. That's the change. And the employee's like, oh, I feel like an idiot when I say that. 
No, no, I really want you to say that. Well, why would I say that? I've never said it before. It's really important to our business right now. So by engaging that employee, by putting a tactic in place that helps them be aware that you want them to do that, to know why it's important that you want them to do that, and then to address their fears or the skills, capabilities that are needed in order to be able to do that, it can be an important, I mean, an important step and an important learning. And so instead of pushing and pushing back, you have your change, they step into the change and you'll be able to capture the benefits that are realized as a result. So smart. I think you're, you're absolutely right. I was just kind of thinking of several examples as you were talking about that. And the, the resistance is just to your point, because the, the owner or founder hasn't explained the rationale behind it too, right? And, and explored the discomfort and then found ways to actually address that discomfort for the experience of the employee, right? So that it becomes kind of intuitive for them or easier for them to be able to have those conversations. Well, and another of my, I mean, there's, there's key levers that are used in this kind of a change that ultimately benefits the client. Um, so training is, I've spoken to it, communication is absolutely one. But one of the most powerful is the role of the leader. Mm. And in many cases, uh, so particularly the direct leader that's documented and, and, and reported, but also what is known as sort of the senior sponsors of the change. Now in a business, the founder is often both the senior sponsor of the change as well as the direct leader driving the change. So when a founder says, you know, we'd really like you to use a video conferencing format to interact with the clients because it's going to create a level of person, person uh, presence that we can't capture because they're not coming into our offices or our businesses right now. So we'd like you to use a video conference format. If they themselves don't use a video conference format, the employee says, wait a minute, you're saying it's important, but whenever I talk to you, you say, call my phone and, or text me, not even, not even a voice, yes. text me yes. and I'll uh, address your question. So the ability of the leader to say, oh gosh, like I'm not sure how this video conference system's gonna work, but I'm gonna hold an all employee meeting through my video conference and I might click the wrong button and hang up on them and not hear my voice and not hear them, but I'm going to show that I'm prepared to try, to learn, and to also accept that it might not go smoothly and to be able to show people that it's okay to stumble a bit when you're trying something new. I love that, walk the walk, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that congruency, so, so important. And so I'm wondering, Yvonne, as we wrap up this segment, when we started it, we were talking about the customer experience. We talked about one of the biggest impacts right now on customer experience has been this, this absorption of digital, the digital era, whether it's communication, paying, um, buying, right, products. Are there any other um, touch points or, or um, impacts that you've seen in the customer experience that founders should just kind of be aware on uh, of and kind of taking into some of that, that change management strategy. 
And I think this is where some of those unintended consequence components come into play. So a client has been tolerant, I would say, because everybody's going through change. And what we can expect is that as it becomes more the norm and the routine, uh, a founder will be measured against non-competitors when it comes to their delivery choices and their delivery mechanisms and their delivery supports. So let's say that I have a certain experience from somebody who sells me product, the local car dealer. And then I have a certain experience from someone who sells me a service, um, the local car wash. And that somehow one of them finds a way to stay connected and to stay engaged with the clients through that journey, just through digital means, through touch points, through putting that personal, regardless of what is the limitations are physically, and the other one does it. So even though they're not in competition with each other, the client thinks, wow, it was so easy to do that. And this is so awkward and cumbersome. And they compare them and they set a benchmark in their mind, even though it is not a direct competitor, it is a competitor in context of the experience. Wow. And I've never even thought about it from that perspective, but you're absolutely right. Kind of feels like COVID is like one of these great equalizers that to your point, regardless of what you're selling, the end experience is what customers measure. A great equalizer and a great differentiator. And so that is the opportunity for wow. founders is to sit there with their client, not literally, but figuratively to understand what that experience really feels like and why it feels that way and then to lean into the parts that create that client loyalty, repeat buying behaviors, um, larger share of wallet, larger uh, grocery cart, and to be able to understand it in order to be able to replicate it. Oh, so powerful, Yvonne. And I think too, you know, as we're closing out this segment, you know, what I've, what I've, there's so many important pieces I've taken away from this, but definitely understanding the touch points of the customer, the access points, being able to measure it. And then to your point of um, grabbing the data, but in a way that makes it meaningful for your business. So it's not just about measuring the numbers, but to your point of reaching out then to the customer and asking them about their experience. And you said this so beautifully, how does it make you feel? Right. How did that make you feel? And leaning into that, not being afraid of those conversations, because some parts might not have felt well or good to the customer, but then being able to understand why that was so that you can make the necessary adjustments um, on the other side. Right. And then plan proactively to be able to address that. So powerful. So powerful. Thank you. All right. So um, as we're, we're dishing out gratitude and appreciation, I just wanted to 
take a moment to thank our champions of this episode, Community Future Sunrise. And um, Yvonne, I don't know if we had this conversation, but this is a community in Saskatchewan, um, the, the, the southeast part of the province that has gone through so much change. Before COVID, they were dealing with a coal transition strategy. So you had a heavily uh, resource dependent town that was trying to figure out, well, how, you know, now that this resource is gone, how do we, you know, how do we maintain our businesses? How can we start to adjust and look at new market opportunities? And then COVID hit too, right? So talk about throwing into the, into the fire on that one. So Community Future Sunrise, thank you for all that you do. And Yvonne, thank you so much for being in here for part two. Um, and we're going to come back for part three of the Gab Lab, where we're actually going to talk about um, operational efficiency and how COVID has really kind of shined a light on how we as founders can become more efficient and effective in our day-to-day -day operations in business. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you back in here for part three of the Gab Lab. See you soon. All right, welcome back, founders. So great to have you back in here for part three of the Gab Lab. We're actually talking today about change management and specifically now here in part three, we're gonna start talking about um, operational efficiencies. We are joined in the lab by Nail the Number Pro, Yvonne Thevenot, not Thevenot, Teveno, sorry, Yvonne. And Yvonne is a change management expert. And we were having a, a good little chuckle over the break here because always, in Saskatchewan, it's two degrees of separation or 0.5, depending on who you know. But um, Yvonne actually was working out of Yorkton back in the day and working with um, working with uh, the province of Manitoba as well. And so anyways, it was just kind of this full, full circle moment on, uh, on better understanding Yvonne, her history and, and obviously her connection here to Saskatchewan. So, so great to have you back, Yvonne. Thank you for joining us for part three. Thank you. Okay, so organizational, um, oh, sorry, operational efficiency. And I, I have to say, I kind of chuckle at this one, because I think even outside of COVID, mm, mm, you know, the term bootstrapping always comes up, I, I find when I'm talking to a lot of founders, uh, also this conversation or this notion of, well, I'm wearing 5000 hats, right? I'm the janitor, the chef, the, you know, I do it all the delivery person. So I think there's a lot of value that you can share with us here in this segment, regardless of being in the middle of a pandemic, because there's some best practices I think we can start to, to take into our, our business outside of, outside of COVID. So where should we start when we start talking about um, operational efficiencies? I think I'd like to start with uh, binder twine and bailing wire. Oh, I love <laughs> oh, it. Oh, and duct tape. Can't forget duct tape. I love it. <laughs> Okay, where do we go with those tools? Those sound like we need them in every toolkit. So one of the realities of COVID has been uh, organizations, founders, businesses were forced into different ways of working. And what that usually meant was a little bit of, you know, shine on the front, lipstick on the pig, and a whole bunch of gerbils running in the background. So all of those pieces that have been put together kind of ad hoc and you know jury rigged so that you can kind of make it work until we get through. That's what we keep thinking when we get through and then have a moment to actually 
look at what we've created and find ways to gain the operational effectiveness that should truly come out of it. So what, what do I mean by that? So an example, because we've been talking a little bit about the digital changes that have been adopted by businesses to be able to reach their clients, interact with their clients. Often that meant uh, shining up a website, creating a point of sale, perhaps creating a callback mechanism, maybe even a robo advisor and finding ways to create that client engagement that would have normally come from stopping by the store or being able to uh, phone and know someone was in the store and could walk to the shelf and see if they had that particular part or piece and now have had to find different ways of doing it. So when organizations are forced into change in an unanticipated and accelerated fashion, often they focus on the client. Okay, so how do we make sure that if the client is calling for a part for the combine, that they get the part. The number one job is get them the part in a timely way. So everything else in behind that, that rallies up to make that happen, you know, um, the founder gets the part as far as, as uh, Verdon and the, the guy picks it up in Verdon and then takes it the rest of the way to the farm. And so those are the things that can happen when we're forced into change in an unanticipated way. When you have a moment then to collect your thoughts, take a look at your business, assess the cost model of things you've implemented, you realize, okay, that's not viable, that's not sustainable, and it's certainly not scalable. So what would need to be true to take all of this rich learning, this rich change that we've adopted and addressed, and yet execute it now in a more cost-effective way and really get the margin out of it that that enhanced client experience should be delivering. And that's where the change understanding, current state analysis, future state vision, and then determining what's needed to bring those pieces together actually starts to come into fruition. I love that. I think so what I'm picking up from that is the you know, everything we've been talking about is actually quite reactionary. And now under this operational efficiency, this is where you take that time to kind of step back and now understand that idea of the shine and the lipstick on the pig. And now how do we really create the efficiencies on the back end to continue to either deliver it in the way that they have been or to create more effectiveness or efficiency in that delivery model. And to your point, impact on margin. Yes. And so all of this, of course, is about enhancing the bottom line. And a lot of the past year has been about protecting the bottom line. Surviving. Yes. Survival, right? Yep. Like trying to make sure that, that we're adopting and addressing the most immediate needs in the most responsive way, uh, taking advantage, uh, truthfully, in a number of markets of more uh, softened government regulation to enable pieces that, you know, might not have been done that way in past, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so are being accepted now or being 
uh, allowed now because of a more relaxed standard. And then either, you know, finding a way to protect that and ensure that stays the standard or being prepared for if the standard is uh, ratcheted back to what was a more typical thing. And what I'm thinking about is aspects of you know, client interaction that might have been felt like it was not within the privacy standards that maybe the government would ideally have targeted. And so founders have jumped into them because the government's like, well, you need to adopt your digital delivery. And so we'll, we'll let that go for now. And then being ready that if that standard does come back closer to where it was that you're prepared from an operational perspective to put those components in place. I, you know, what I think is so powerful about COVID is that um, it has really forced business owners to do what they should have been doing all along, right? It's been a catalyst to really understanding efficiencies and to your point of, yes, we were just looking to survive through through COVID. It kind of like, you know, hit us, took us by, took us by storm. Um, but again, what I'm loving, where I think the opportunity lies in COVID is that the catalyst now is about, now we actually have to take this kind of proactive approach to building our business and that bottom line because we don't know what's happening with COVID now, right? We might be in this another three months, six months, a year. And so it is forcing everybody to, to start to think about the areas where they can become more efficient long-term. I think there's so much power in that. And one of the tools that I'll be sharing with you, Tanya, as well as then with your listeners um, and audience is a tool that will help people think about how the change, how they've adopted to the change. It's a very simple, simple tool that talks about what do you want to stop doing? Now that you were forced to stop it, perhaps as a result of COVID, what do you want to stay stopped? Mm. What do you want to start doing? So shoulda, woulda, coulda, I really want to start that. Okay, lean into it now. What is it that you want to start doing and taking advantage of because of the learning you've gained from COVID? And what do you want to keep doing? And the tool also helps consider it in sort of a well-rounded way in terms of clients, obviously, but also other aspects like community. So there are organizations and founders that reached out to their community and supported their community in ways, even though they had historically supported, in ways and levels that had never been before imagined or appreciated. And so being able to think about what did that actually do for my business? Do I want to continue that? Do I want to tweak it a little bit? And how can I actually gain a sustainable benefit from this glow that I gained because I felt it was the right thing to do at that point in time? And then operationalize it. So people who had maybe uh, delivered meals to local hospitals, for example, if that is something that you want as a sustainable component of your business, then let's find a way to make it efficient, not 
Oh my gosh, what are we going to pack them in? Okay, boxes. Where can we get boxes? Okay, let's find the boxes. <laughs> and those kinds of things that I know happened were so greatly appreciated. But now take a moment's pause, find the best price on those boxes, not just the guy that happened to, you know, have some in supply in the and clothes. Yeah. They were sort of the right size. It was pretty close. <laughs> you know, to be able to do that in a way that is cost effective, sustainable, and scalable. Beautiful. And it, it, it just kind of reminds me again of that polish, right? Put the polish on it now, put the finesse yeah. on it now, create the efficiencies um, with it there. Um, so I am curious if we were, because a lot of what we do in, in Nail the Numbers, uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll talk about operational expenses from the perspective of people, space and operating in general, and then sales and marketing, and then some of the, the other expenses there. Are you seeing any, um, I don't want to say best practices, but when it comes to those segments, are you seeing business owners adopt new efficiencies in the area of team and personnel, space and operating, sales and marketing, or are, are, those, two, are those two narrowed down? Well, I think we talk quite a bit actually about the sales and marketing through yeah. some of the digital delivery components. Um, We'll spend a moment on the plant, though, the physical footprint, um, the, the premises and office. And one of the learning that that industry have had, you know, I think just society has had is how effective people can be from their own homes. And, you know, one of the things that that I frequently thought about when you grow up in a farming environment and you live and work in the same space all the time, it's normal, right? It's normal to uh, wake up extra early to get that piece of work done because now you can take the two hours in the afternoon to go to the school to watch Sally and her play and then you pick up work when you get back. And so that combination of work and home that is inherent in an agricultural based economy has been new learning in a lot of other industries. And so what that means is that don't let that go. I mean, if you're thinking about how to handle your expansion and the normal route is, you know, buy a bigger boat, uh, there may be other options. And one of those options can be giving people the opportunity to work from home and embracing it as part of how the business is run. And whether the founder themselves prefers just having those people around, actually understanding that for some people, balancing family or you know, maybe their inherent work style or the nature of their work is more conducive to actually having kind of a space where they can think fairly autonomously and act fairly autonomously is actually considering whether that is a way of having an extended footprint because actually now you've got space in a bunch of people's homes on a part-time basis. So that's one aspect that I think is, is really um, going to require thought Yes. Helping ensure that as founders, you know, not bringing your own kind of, but I like to talk to people yes. in the morning and have my coffee and, you yeah. know, see what's happening and 
finding ways to embrace the best of that, but also consider the hardcore benefit of potentially requiring a smaller footprint. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so powerful. And I think, you know, you you said this earlier on about fulfillment. Fulfillment is number one, making sure, I mean, this is how we stay in business, right, is being able to deliver products and services to our market. So taking it from that perspective of understanding what is it going to actually take to make sure that this product or service can actually be delivered while enhancing the customer experience. And to your point on space, I know we are speaking with um, I was speaking with a retail expert, uh, Bruce Winder, and the episode number escapes me right now, but we were having this discussion around how the retail space, that landscape has certainly changed. And, you know, just some of the the notion or the, the concepts that were coming up were things like, you know, maybe we don't have the racks and racks upon shelves and shelves of clothing and merchandise. Maybe it's here's one sample right? And you walk through and it's almost, it's more like a showroom and then it gets ordered and then, you know, delivered and whether it's drop ship or whatever that might look like, but um, pulling all of this into, into consideration to, you know, to, to what your point is here about understanding what that footprint is going to look like. And maybe that square footage just shifts somewhere else, right? Maybe it isn't that brick and mortar. Maybe it becomes more of a, a storage area, whatever that might, uh, whatever that might look like. Um, I'm wondering too, you know, just from a space and operating, I'm thinking uh, digital security. We probably mm-hmm. are going to invest high, heavier, uh, you know, in in terms of um, making sure that we've uh, we're secure on that uh, front, and and maybe insurance. And what are you seeing from the perspective of with our teams and efficiencies with our teams outside of where they're working? Are you seeing any learnings there? I think the concept of I'll frame it as self-serve learning and capability building. So historically in a lot of environments, uh, founders or organizations believe they know what their employees and teams need to know and learn. There's, there's almost a, you know, a paternalistic component to it, right? No, no, let me tell you what you need to know. What we are absolutely seeing from the way people team and whether it's through interactions like this, video conferencing, different kind of team rooms, is that an empowered team that has access to information and resources can find empowering ways to deliver to a higher client experience, employee experience, bottom line given a bit of the space to do that. And so I think about things like, um, how will we get paid? And so we've got the accounts receivable clerk that's like, okay, getting these checks and then going to the place to get the check and then process the check and then take the check back to the bank. And like, there's gotta be an easier way and people just going online and saying, what is that better way? Because in today's day and age, when I can send an electronic money transfer in 10 seconds, why is my founder still using checks? That's one example. Some people love their checks. They love signing them, all those other things. 
And so I'm not picking on Czechs specifically, but it is an example of how team collaboration, drawing on the strength of each of those individuals to make it an even more powerful space. And as a leader, listening and adopting and considering and teasing that out of folks who have those specific mm -hmm. interests and then capturing it can be a very, very powerful experience that comes through a journey like this. Oh, I can imagine. And I'm, I'm curious to, to have you weigh in on vision and end goal of a business. And so in your experience, the founders that know specifically what they're building, they go in with it with saying, okay, you know, we've got this seven year horizon, we're going to get to this level of sales, this net profit, our goal is to exit and to sell to this sort of company, um, versus those that are just kind of operating day by day, and kind of taking COVID as it comes and, you know, in this reactionary mode. What are the differences that you're seeing from operational effectiveness and or leadership and decision making skills and abilities? So, I love that question because it, uh, it opens up for me to speak about objectives and key results. So the consulting buzzword is OKRs. And so OKR, OKR, objective and key results, key results. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, setting for a team, the outcome. So what am I actually trying to solve for? And we're talking a little bit about operational efficiency. Okay, currently it takes us 10 days from the time we get that order to actually getting in, in the client's hands. And it is a product that would benefit the client and benefit our revenue stream that potentially we want it to be delivered in two days. So team, go out and solve for how do we create this change? So this is this idea of now stimulating change. And how do we make this change where it goes from 10 days to two days? That's your objective. The key result will be the, what's measured by something moving from a 10-day measure to a two-day measure. Go figure it out. Go give me some suggestions. And setting a team to action to solve a problem in a collective way with some parameters and guardrails, but without sometimes the degree of direction that might be a founder's bias. Go look into UPS because it might be a better way of getting the package. Okay, that's very directive, right? Yeah. Whereas the person's thinking, well, I don't know. I found this other place that can get it there a lot cheaper and faster, but they said UPS, so they must mean that. I don't know. <laughs> and so finding ways to enable your team by setting clear objectives aligned with the vision and then looking at those outcomes that take you towards it and using that as your parameters and definitions of success. Oh, so yeah, so much in there that feels like a whole other episode, but it, 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 it's so powerful, everything that you're mentioning, because it's the, so what I'm hearing is you set that goal, you then you've, you've surrounded yourself with the team that you know has the capability to do that. And the founder has to get out of their own way through the micromanaging, right? And to your point of these limitations and these boxes that we put our team into, which don't help 
with the overall change management strategy. If we know that they can bring to the table out ideas that are far beyond our scope, which allow us to achieve that outcome. And this is where I get it. Like founders is, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> and so find a way to keep your ear to that ground. And there's a lot of collaboration sites you know, that people are using these days. Yeah. You know, all, all sorts of them. So include yourself in the community, right? So you can eavesdrop on what the chatter is and what's going on and resist the urge to inject. Know that you're there, you're being given the privilege to eavesdrop so that you can watch the journey and be part of the journey. But take advantage of that in, in respect for allowing them the space that is needed to be able to deliver to the outcome. And part of that journey is, is of course, regular communication and regular checkpoints. People are using an agile methodology. The standard is two weeks. And so, I mean, that's kind of uh, probably over-engineered for most uh, founders, but does it make sense that every two weeks or so, someone would give you a bit of show and tell and explain what they've achieved and how much closer they're getting to the goal. Oh, we got it down from 10 days to six days. And this is how, in fact, we saved money because this is how. And so celebrating that success as well as the journey progresses. Beautiful. So again, then just to recap, I, I'm hearing, you know, knowing the goal, it always helps you to achieve the goal, right? So instead of just kind of staying in the weeds and taking this, oh, I'll take it a day as it comes, understanding what that end objective is with the business. And in my experience, I, you know, and, and I do work with a lot of small business owners, but I, I would say I'm in all of my years of presenting, and that's over 20 years, there's only been two founders that knew exactly what they were building. When I asked the question, what are you building? What are you building and when are you getting out? How are you exiting at what price, right? So it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, and the other thing that was, you know, as you were talking about the team, I, and I, the leader the leader alludes me right now. I don't know if it was Richard Branson or um, somebody else who talked about, I surround myself with people who are smarter than I am, yeah. right? And so to your point of making sure at the very beginning of actually hiring people, know who you're hiring right? Hire the right people that are smarter, that are brighter than you, that can actually get you to that, that end goal and let them go to your point, right? Don't micro, don't micromanage them. Um, I, I heard this great quote once. It said, if you have two senior leaders that agree on everything, you have one senior leader too many. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I think the, you know, the value in that too, is that the, the senior leadership, you've got senior leadership, then you also have, you know, you tend to have a board of directors. You have all of the strength and expertise and opinions and perspectives that you can't help but hash it all out and then end up with what's in the best interest of the business, yeah. right? Whereas founders, we typically don't have those voices. So we tend to put the blinders on, micromanage, I'm speaking for myself here, not all founders out there. You know, I, I love bringing in, in experts like you, Yvonne, because every, these conversations, they're sitting with me going, oh, okay, I've got to do that differently, right? I'm, I always learn so much. So Yvonne, thank you so much for investing your time and sharing all of your expertise here with us today in the Gab Lab. There are so many um, 
golden nuggets, I like to, to call them. And we're going to put them all in the show notes down below. We'll be able to extract those. Um, pretty up the pig. There's a founder I worked with decades ago that would always say you could pretty up the pig, but you still can't take her to market. <laughs> oh, anyways, that was all coming back. Rick, if you're watching this, you'll know exactly what's happening there. Um, but and Yvonne, you are taking new clients on, correct? So if there's founders out there that want to know more about change management are interesting in having an accountability coach, a change management coach that can kind of walk them through this process, be able to understand how to become adaptive to the situation now and also plan for future change, you're available, right? I'll put your contact yeah. information. Yeah, absolutely. In and Beautiful. But I will give the new boot warning, which is when you put on some of these new skills and give someone an opportunity to challenge you on the way that you've always done things, mm -hmm. it's going to feel a little bit like that new pair of boots for the first couple of days. So, Beautiful. so you know, that's, that's a reality. That's how you know that you're thinking differently, that you're approaching your business differently. And so embrace that new boot feeling as well. So important, right? It's that discomfort when we're doing something that's uncomfortable, we know that we're growing. So get uncomfortable, reach out to Yvonne. Um, Yvonne, again, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Community Future Sunrise, for championing this episode. So much important information in this conversation that business owners can apply to their business today and in the future. As you mentioned, Yvonne, every quarter, the very least, start sitting down and understanding what, uh, what impacts um, have been made to your business and what you need to do going forward. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for catching this episode of the Gab Lab. We will see you in the Gab Lab next time. Bye for now, founders.